It's the Surf Knot, baby, coming at you, coming hot. We got a lot to talk about tonight, boys. I'm your host, The Grinch. And as with me, as always, are my co-hosts, Trenton Tarpitz Phillips. Yerp. And our ever-lovable producer, Tyler Tankbaker. Who just got out of the water and is all salty. The best way to do a podcast. I saw Tyler take off on this wave. He goes, and I'm like, oh, that's for sure closeout. And then about five seconds later, I hear, woohoo! And like all the groms are hooting, and he fully got tube. And I spent till dark looking for a tube. I didn't get one. Oh, right well, place. Let me take this moment to introduce my favorite surfboard shaper and mentor and confidant, Mr. Tony Iannarone of Clean Ocean Surfboards is with us today, boys. You, Tony! Hey, what's up, guys? Big Tone. Tony, I, I have a long and checkered history of um, hating 95% of surf shops, but I loved your COS shop. I, it was my favorite. Heart, heart, heart broken that it's no longer there. But I understand that you are fully still in production. COS, the brand, the board's going strong. Tell us a little bit about the new haps, the new flavor of the company. Like, what's going on, baby? Well, first, I appreciate you saying that about our shop because we we worked hard to make it a really, really nice shop. And I, I was in love with that shop too. But what a lot of people don't realize is running a surf shop's a lot of hard work, man. You know, and uh, if you don't commit yourself to it 100%, it's just not going to be successful. Um, and I just felt like we weren't really playing at the level I wanted to play at with that shop. And I was divided between the factory and the and the retail store. And I felt like I wasn't doing anything good anymore. So to try and get back to keeping everything fun and getting my enthusiasm back up, I had to let something go. So the shop had to go. Uh, I had a retail store for 20 years. That's a pretty good run in anybody's book. But uh, now it's just full board trying to worry about um, increase in production at the factory. I think also too, it kind of opens up for those that don't know, I worked at the shop the whole time and uh, was there for the whole thing of it. And I think what this next chapter kind of opens up is people love the events that we would throw. Now we can still do events, but do them in a myriad of places up and down the East Coast. So we can still do like the zine swaps, the board shows, and the year footage parties, but we can do them literally all over the entire east coast we're not so stuck in okay well we got to do it at the shop because we got the shop and we got to use the shop now we're really able to go wide open with a lot of things i feel like yeah the plan was to get on the but road Tony, how are you going to do how are you going to deal with all the complaints you used to get at the shop about the creepy hipster who worked behind the counter <laughs> <laughs> No, 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 wait, that was shit. My bad. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Hey, no, man. no, no. I, you know, oddly enough, nothing but praises came through the shop for the people that worked for me, which was like Boom. one of the things I was I was the proudest of. That, uh, you know, people that came through the shop felt like they were treated with respect and uh, everything was handled pretty well. And, um, you know, I, I'm really proud of that fact that over the 20 years that I had a retail store, I had very little complaints about the people that worked for me, which was always nice. I felt like everyone that came on board to work for me really got behind it and uh, understood what we were trying to do. 
and gave me their all, which you you got to love that, you know. Well, plus if we messed up, then we had to deal with the big dog. Yeah. <laughs> we don't want that big dog to come barking. <laughs> I've dealt with some rotten people in a surf shop and environment and it makes no sense. You know, you're, you're, you're so lucky to be doing this and then you're going to be a little turd. Get out of here, make room for somebody else. So you're really lucky. You got some great employees along the way that just, you know, saw the vision and helped. Yeah. I I feel like that's just kind of the whole um, mentality around the brand. It's uh, kind of, we're real, we want to be open to all. You know, obviously, every shaper loves to make boards for the best surfers you can. But in reality, 95% of your boards are going to just your average person. And my job is really to help them surf better um, and have a better experience in the water. So um, we just tried to keep it low key and made it uh, always seem like everyone was welcome, or at least that's what the goal was. Which I feel like... Tell us, folks in Jacksonville, are you guys doing factory direct or, or if someone wants to get us their hands on a brand spanking new COS, where do they go to do this? Well, um, we rehooked up with Aqua East. They were one of my first dealers. Um, I had 20 something, 25, 30 years ago, whatever it was, I don't know, a long time ago. Um, I don't really like the whole factory direct thing, not because I don't like meeting the people. I love getting in touch with the people and uh, trying to work them through their customs. But uh, as Trent can tell you, when we walk into that factory, man, it's it's full on from, you know, unlocking the door to locking the door. And it's just hard to be interrupted all day long with people stopping into the factory. So as much as I'm going to make myself available as possible through people uh, going through Aquist, I'm still going to take uh, you know, customs through phone for them or even set up appointments through them. Um, it's just impractical, impractical, uh, whatever you say that. Um, to, uh, <laughs> he just came off a day at the factory and Steve doesn't yeah, think. I know, yeah. I'm tired, man. That's all right. <laughs> it's, uh, it's just hard to have people in and out of your factory all day long when you're really pushing to get things done. I mean, most of the time we're behind the eight ball there. Uh, we're always trying to play catch up and too many interruptions. It's just really hard to run a factory that way. Yeah. You got some guy, Gomer Powell guy trying to ask you, is this a polyester resin or something like that? It's, it's slowing everybody down. I'll tell you what's funny. It's like normally around this time of year, around January, the factory's fully crazy with them trying to get ready for surf expo. And we didn't do surf expo this year, but it was still just as crazy so that really speaks for how much volume is going out of that factory right now well in january we were still finishing up orders that we took at the end of summer that's how behind we had gotten this year well you kind of one of the (laughs) one of the few positives that have kind of come out of the whole COVID 19 mess is it seems like stuff that was coming from overseas, the containers, all those kind of things. It's really put a hold on that. And I know that a lot of local shapers have gotten an influx. And what I'm hoping, like my shaper, Ken White, I love him. He's one of my best friends. Me and him are like, Tony, you and Trent are. He's been super right. busy too. And so what I'm hoping is that buyers and surfers realize the amazing craft that's happening in 
this area in Northeast Florida and you guys keep staying busy because you were there for us when they couldn't get other boards in COVID and your stuff is better than that stuff we're going to buy from overseas. It just is. Well, I, I mean, I hope you're right. I mean, we'll, we'll see. I've been in this game long enough to where I know it's just constant ups and downs, you know? So I'm, I'm with you. I think we provide a better, uh, better product. Uh, I'm really enthusiastic about the resurgence in uh, kind of an East Coast movement. I mean, for uh, a long time, we were just like the bastard children of the whole surf industry. Um, when I started in this game 30 something years ago, when we cruise the coast and go into a shop, you'd have, say they carried five surfboard lines. You'd have four that were East Coast labels, one token West Coast label. And for the last 15, 20 years, it's been exactly flip-flopped. I mean, it's been, you know, four West Coast labels or overseas labels and maybe one East Coast guy. So the fact that, uh, you know, people are discovering East Coast manufacturers again is, is a pretty positive thing. So that being said, I want to go into this. And Trent was like, tread lightly, Grinch. Tony's going to tell his story, and I love the COS story, but I have this issue, Tony, and you are uniquely you are uniquely qualified to give the expertise on this issue because you are a world-class shaper. One, check that box. You are a surf shop retail space owner. Two, check that box. And you have one of the sickest vintage board collections I personally have seen on the East Coast. Three, check that box. So you have the authority to be an authority. So I want to run this scenario by everybody because I'm heated about it this week. Ash, <laughs> okay. I've been popping off, son. I've okay. made friends mad. I've, I've, I've ruined group chats. I'm, I'm hot, baby. I'm hot. All right. Okay. So here it goes. You ready? There is <laughs> this series of websites, okay? And they say they're all about the East Coast and board manufacturers and, and upping everybody and all this. But, but what's happening is you have these people that are paying upwards of $3,000 for used fun-shaped skip fries. And it's making me horribly frustrated. Here's why. Not because I don't love skip fry. He's a legend. The dude deserves that money. But I have three contentions. And I'm going to give you the first one. And you agree or disagree. Okay. I, think it's, I think it's complete BS that these resellers get these skips, hold on to them for five years, you know, Skip saw what fifteen hundred of of that of that money, and then they turn around and resell for three thousand. And these people are trying to tell me, "Oh, Grinch, you're wrong. We want to promote Skip, and by getting this money for Skip, we'll get East Coast guys more money too." Skip's not seeing any of that money. What do you think well, about that all, dynamic? A lot of those boards I see that are um, going for big money on the internet to Skip fries were boards from the '90s, and I'll tell you what, Skip was struggling in the '90s, man. You know, he wasn't exactly, well, let's not say struggling. He was not getting the respect he deserved in the 90s. Yeah. And uh, he wasn't making a, a lot of money off those boards at that particular time, you know. So uh, it's nice he's getting the respect. Maybe he's due. It, it's hard to say, you know, like a prime example, I have a handsome 50-50 that's in really nice shape. 2005, people are coming to my shop offering me five grand, 5,500 for it, you know, which was a lot of money. Now that same board, you know, offers would be like 1,500. 
it's wow. the same board. It's just the difference of what's hot and what's not. At that particular time frame, 2005, one of the most sought after boards was the Hanson 5050. Yeah. You know? So you got to watch when you really try and do this collector's thing because uh, what's hot now may not be hot later. So not everything continues to just increase in price. And I think overall, you know, some of the stuff that Skip did from the 90s and the early 2000s, I don't know if that's really going to hold in value like the stuff he did in the 60s and 70s. Yeah, here's the thing. And I got I got two points. The first point is it's not necessarily the the sites that are selling it that I feel like are putting that tag on it. I feel like it's kind of the internet Instagram hype that makes it warrant for any the sellers because the sites are more so just middlemen. It's the sellers that are asking four thousand dollars for like a skip fry glider and it's the buyers that are actually paying it and stuff like that. But I think Tony hit on something like, yeah, a 90s fun shape. That's a 90s fun shape, which is like, I'm like, could take it or leave it. But like a 60s GNS that skip shaped, however, I feel like would be worth more. But it's just like you said, like, I don't think it's going to increase in value because I think that everyone's going to find some other older shaper that maybe I, I mean, who knows? Maybe John Peck is the next hot. Look what happened to IPA over the last like a week ago, all of a sudden IPA just went bam through the roof. Yeah, exactly. But you lead me to my second point that I want to make. And one of the arguments I got into with people that were paying this much money for skips and the so-called middlemen is they said, well, us doing this for skip is going to raise everybody's prices. And I said, well, number one, if everybody who was of a quality craftsmanship wanted three grand for a fun shape, none of us would be able to go surfing. Number one. Number two, my contention is this. I'm with Tony. I want to build the true East Coast. And in my opinion, guys like for me, Ken, Tony, Ricky Carroll, these guys are working legends right now. So if you have $3,000 to spend on a surfboard, you could get one from each of these masters and put food on people's tables. The legends, a lot of these guys are retiring. They're not hurting for, for the money right now. And you could support our thing and our scene rather than wanting to, to eat off of somebody else's table. If you have that money to spend, I'd like to see it spent. I like that, Chris. What? That, that's a great that's a great way to look at it is just put them because you're putting the money back into the economy or just some rich guy who doesn't surf yeah and a lot of people don't realize too for some reason they don't put us east coast guys in the same category as as the west coast guys like i've had so many people ask me well what makes you think your boards are worth what they're worth you know, and I'm like, man, I do the same amount of work that anybody else does on the West Coast that I put into my boards. I have the time behind the planer. I put my years in doing all the, the hard stuff. You know, why shouldn't I be worth the same amount they're worth? Yeah. Um, because you don't like the logo or you don't like me. That's fair enough, I guess. But don't devalue something just because of geographic area. You know? Yeah, I think it's like, this kind of like overhype of who's popular on Instagram to where people are, it's like 
there's certain labels. I'm not going to call them out, but there's certain labels that people think are great, but I see the person and they're trash. It's like you get everyone just kind of decided, oh, this is what's cool. So this is good. And it's like, no, it's not good. And if you watch the way people surf them, they bog like crazy. Well, Instagram's kind of like, it, it's hard for, for an up and coming shaper now. It's hard to get a career going. Yeah. And Instagram kind of makes it easier for these people to be able to get their stuff out there. Where like back in my day, you just had to hit the road, man. You had to be out there. You had to be pushing your stuff on the beaches, pushing them in the shops, constantly on the road. Where now it at least gives them an avenue to, to get their boards out there and get them seen. My complaint is when people are actually shaping only to grab attention on Instagram or, or whatever yeah. social media, where, you know, at a certain point, you get to a point where you, you need to make boards that are functional. You just can't call it art. I mean, you have to be good at what you do first. And then you could bring the artistic part into it. But if you're not making a solid board first, um, you know, you, you just can't call it art and want, and want 1500 bucks for it. You know, you, people have to be able to use your product. It has to function. And, and there's just a lot of guys out there that are just pumping stuff up out just so it looks good in pictures knowing that it's not really going to work that well well it's even like you were saying earlier you want to make boards that help the average surfer surf better and i feel like whenever you make these like crazy weird artsy boards you're not helping them do that you're they just think oh i'm just not good enough to surf this board it's like no maybe it's just the board doesn't really work for an average surfer so i feel like every shaper should be able to do that to make those boards that are like you said, like be able to make the regular stuff really good first. Then you can use those rules to make the weird stuff. Uh, True. I've heard I mean, talk. Go ahead. I've heard Ken talk about it. And Tony, I think you had kind of this upbringing too. A lot of the kids nowadays that are trying to become shapers, they don't come up through working in a factory. Like my understanding is, is that back in the day, if you wanted to learn to shape, you went and got, you went and swept somebody's floor. And then you got a job doing rough cuts and then you got a job doing sanding and you had to learn the whole process. And these guys coveted their knowledge and you had to work for it. And now you have these kids who like Tony said, I'm a designer and they make something that's a piece of junk. And they, they're like, this is $1,500. And I'm like, that disrespects every single person who like Tony has 30 years behind a planer and busted his hind end his whole career to gain the skills that he has. I, I agree to, to a certain extent. I agree. I mean, um, you know, even worse back in the day when we were sweeping floors or doing anything, uh, half the time these guys weren't even, they weren't really too out to show you really what to do, man, because they were afraid you were going to steal food off their table, you know? So, uh, you know, it, it was even hard because you had to, you had to figure out, you know, okay, exactly what is truth here? What is not, you know, when is someone screwing with me? When are they not, you know? And, um, was that a thing that guys seriously like give you wrong information so that you'd make it weird. So you didn't take business from them. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. people would totally Classic. give you wrong information. Sick. Yeah. They would Frick. put you every chance they got basically because they were trying to weed you out, man. You, you know, you had to really put up with a lot of crap to just stay in tune and, and, and um, earn your right. I mean, when I was coming up, 
you weren't even allowed to call yourself a shaper until you did 2,000 hand-shaped surfboards. Dang. Most guys nowadays don't even come close to doing 2,000. Ever. You know, they do 30, and then they're on the CNC machine. Well, and you can shape several hundred and be very good. Uh, but you're still messing up this or that from time to time. You haven't learned to skill. Like you can't chase anything out if it gets weird on you. You know, those things come with time. I'll see well, dudes. I always thought about it. In the, go ahead, Trent. Oh, I was just going to say, I'll see dudes that have done maybe almost 100 boards, but they're already on Instagram. They're like, this is the that model. This is this model. Yes. But you don't have models yet, dude, because you haven't perfected one yet. You know, stop calling them models. Just make your boards, keep your mouth shut, and earn your stripes. Well, in their defense, they're not good enough to know how bad they are yet. <laughs> you know, and, of the day. and it's uh, it takes a long time before you even can know that. You, you know, it's like uh, it takes a really long time before you can look at something and go, "I know exactly what this dude was doing, what he was doing. He should have cut here. He should have cut there." You don't know that in the beginning. And thank God you don't, because you have to willingly be blind moving forward, just powering through, thinking you're doing a good job, or you're going to get discouraged, man. Yeah. You know? So it, it's kind of a, a double edged sword there. But, uh, you know, a lot of them, they just don't even know how bad they are yet. They, they'll like figure it out. If they stick with it, they'll figure it out. That's a lot like jujitsu. It's like you start off, you're like, I'm getting, hey, I'm getting pretty good. And then like a year in, you make it to like blue belt and you're like, I now know how much I don't know. Yeah. I'm already in this long. I might as well stick with it. Yeah. Like a lot that your first 30 shapes are the best, the easiest you'll ever do because yeah. you don't know what the hell you're doing. You're <laughs> just trying to get the, get the blank, you know, you know, get it. Yeah. So you're not screwing up the blank. So yeah, the first 30, you're like, Oh my God, I'm awesome. I'm great at this. Yeah. And then come 31, when you start to see shadows and you start to read what you need to do and you try and fix things and you try and change things, then you're like, I suck. <laughs> you know, I'm horrible at this. It's just the way it goes. Yeah. It's just, you become self-aware at some, at a certain yeah. point. And then it gets to the point to where like, you know, every board I do drives me absolutely crazy because I, I can't see the good things anymore. I can only see the flaws. Yeah. That's all I see anymore. And part of what keeps me going is the next one. I want to fix what I screwed up on the last one. Let me ask you, you know? this, what type of orders or what type of boards, if you get an order for it, are you kind of like, I'm real excited to shape this one out? Mm, yeah. Good question. You know what? It's, it's typically not orders or people. What yeah. stokes me out is like, if I get up super early on a Sunday and I have something in my head that I wanted to shape for a long time. There, there are shapes that I, I've shaped over and over in my head for years before I take a planer to them. Yeah. So I'll just like go in the room early on a Sunday and just try and pop out that shape I've been thinking about or shaping in my head over and over again. And those are the ones that really get you hyped to see if they come out the way you envision them or how close you can get it to how you envision it in your head. Cause they're never as good as they are in your head. I can tell you that right now. Um, you know, with, with customer boards, um, you know, when you connect with people and you, uh, you, you have, you feel like you're on the same page that that's really, uh, that's really good because a lot of times 
you know, people aren't really giving you enough information to where you're 100% sure you're on the right track for these people. Yeah. Um, they're trusting you and you just have to hope that you understand what they're going for and, and you, you're doing the best you can, you know? And I just know from experience from dealing with you and um, how, how, what the mode was for us at the shop was always, we didn't want to just sell someone a board. We really wanted to put people on the right board. That's going to work for them. That's going to get them stoked. That's going to make them happy for the life of that board. Yeah, I want them to come back. Yeah. A, a lot of times, if you just shape them some turd bomb because it's what they want and they hate it, they're not going to be like, man, I told them to shape me a turd. They're yeah. going to be like, dude, shape me a turd, man. It doesn't work. <laughs> they're not going to come back. But, but tell you, there is a little bit of you looking at the guy going, I think you're this kind of surfer. At, at a certain point, you're kind of, you got to, you got to be like, I think this is what he wanted, a guy like this. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm not going to lie. There are times where I know someone's way off track and what they want, and they give me crazy-ass numbers. I'll shape something and put their numbers on the bottom of the board, and I'll shape a completely different board, and they're stoked. Yes. Now, I don't do that very often, but certain people, you got to do what you got to do because they're just in denial on, right. on what they really need to progress. That's one of those people. <laughs> <laughs> That's the mark of a really gifted good shaper though i can't tell you how many times because we're close enough i've said to ken i want this this and this and he'll go no you don't stand over there i'll make it you ride it and he just goes with the planer and i think if more people were open to coming to tony and going hey i want a board that hangs 10 really well instead of trying to tell you the design characteristics they want as a surfer i know what i know the feeling i want as a shaper you know how to make that feeling but you have all these idiots who are like, I need this many liters and I need this thickness. And I need, I don't know. Sir, we don't know that kind of pig. stuff. We're not know what a pig does. Well, you know, the whole, there, the problem is a lot of that stuff with the liters and how much you weigh to pick your fins and all that crap. I mean, these large corporations have to figure out a way how to cut guys like me out of the equation. And, and that's how they're doing it. Unfortunately, you know, um, and you get a lot of orders where people go through, the internet and they're like i want the nose off this so they take that number i want the width off of this i'll take this number and i want the tail off and they just think they could just shove everything together and make a board and that's just not really how it works it just doesn't flow if you just have flow. stuff no for me it's all about when i'm shaping for people up i want all my boards to flow i want them to have a certain flow to them yeah and uh you know that's the other thing too with a lot of the crazy instagram stuff you know, a lot of that stuff has no flow. You know, some of it's really clean, even though it's 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 out of the box weird. But some of it's just like, come on. Yeah, I feel like you'll get things on Instagram that are, it's like the, the process is executed well, like it's well-shaped, well-glass board, but it just has weird things and weird spots to look different. But different doesn't always mean it's going to ride good or work. I see this all the time. An amazing, a coolest outline I've ever seen, a really good looking board. And then they've used a stock rocker. Yeah. And, and just like makes me go throw up a little bit in my mouth. Why did you yeah. waste the time? The stock rocker sucks. If you're not altering the rocker, come on. But I think some of the weird stuff is almost this generation's excuse to not have to learn to surf well. 
they're into the weird board. I, I want a Liddell hull. Well, you can't really turn that board, especially in East Coast waves. So you're going to stand in the middle of it and you're going to feel cool and do poses, but you're not really going to learn how to surf it. Or the, the newest craze is these edge boards. And there are guys who tear it apart on those boards. But if you're in average Florida waves, there's a lot of stuff that guys like Tony know is going to work better. But you see this, this surfing on Instagram and you're like, oh, well, this person kind of stands there and trims and does all these things. And you don't have to learn how to do a proper cutback. You don't have to learn to do a proper hang 10. And I think that's part of getting the right board goes with you advance your skills by having the right equipment for the waves you ride. And East Coast guys, especially Florida guys, know how to make surfboards that work well in those, crap ways. Chris, those holes are kind of fun, man. You can surf those. I, I've ridden yeah, holes. I, I like holes. By, I, I've I ridden mean, holes by some of the greatest dudes. Maybe I'm just a kook, but it never turned that well for me. There's some really cool ones. A Stoker V machine. There's Liddell holes. All kinds of really cool, like, V-bottom stuff. I feel like some of the holes on Instagram are, like, they take it to the extreme just to make it look extreme. But, like, a minor hole and a minor V-bottom work really well. Minor. Well, a lot of my, my shapes are based off of uh, holes and, and V-bottoms. And they're just, you know, super simplified versions of them. But see, you guys are proving you guys are proving my point. Tony knows how to take the whole design and make the in intricacies of it to work in our waves. He's saying, I do minor this, I'm, I'm taking this out of this. He knows how to do those things. But some dude off the street who goes, I want the exact same hole I see Jimmy Gambo ride at Malibu. That's not gonna work here. And I'll pay yeah. five thousand dollars for it. <laughs> there you go. That's ridiculous. <laughs> well, you know, a lot of all those boards dirt. They're really hard to ride. I mean, even like uh, a lot of the pig-shaped longboards, for a lot of people, those boards are really, really hard to ride. It's um, you got to know what what your strengths are as a surfer, you know. So in, in a certain way, Grinch, you're you're absolutely right. But um, you know, in this game, everyone wants to um, you know feel a little special, and if that board makes you a little special, then you know, can you really fault them for that? Yeah. Where do you oh, I can. That's the whole point of this show. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Alrighty then. <laughs> so, Tony, real quick, what's your um, what's your like? What's your what's you? What do you see for uh yourself and shaping as a whole for the, like the next five years? You know, it's weird for me to a lot of the stuff that I was doing fifteen years ago is stuff that's really becoming kind of hip now shape wise yeah um good you already got a template for it yeah yeah i already got a template for it <laughs> my problem is is sometimes i'm a, a little too far ahead of the curve and then i'm bored of it by the time it actually kind of becomes hip i'm like ah i'm over that you know yeah, and i just yeah. move on to something else so I, for me uh, shapes it's kind of hard to say i just um um what I do, normally do is I just listen to the people ordering boards and that usually gives me a direction on where things are going to go. Yeah. But for me personally, as a, um, a board builder right now, I'm really, uh, I want to up my glassing game even, uh, to, to, I, I just really want to up my glassing game. I want to really focus on glassing more and, uh, finishing out boards 
better than what we're doing them now. Um, For those that aren't familiar with COS surfboards and the glasswork that's already done on them, that's really the glasswork's already super freaking good. It's the best in town, easily. Like, ever since easily. I I knew that like COS is like, if you want like crazy resin tint, you go there because he does really good job on them. So the fact, Tony, that you're like, I want to get better at them. That's like, that's like Socrates being like, oh, I'll learn a little more. <laughs> well, dude, I, I mean, in, in a crazy way, that's exactly what it is. I want to learn more. You, yeah. you know, um, I always want to learn more. I want to, I want to uh, advance. If, if you feel like you're good at this game, give it up because you just stayed stationary. If you're not trying to improve everything you're doing, then you, you know you're wasting everyone's time. That's just the way I feel. At it. You can apply that to like anything in life, I feel like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. You know? You know? Dang, that's so, a, Tony, that's I have to ask you a super fart jokes that we normally tell. <laughs> we'll get to them. Next segment, we'll get the fart jokes in. So, Tony, I have to ask you a super kind of personal question um, that every guest of our show has to answer, and it gets a little dicey, and it could make you surf industry. It could make you surf industry insiders upset. So, are you ready for this question? Sure. If Kelly Slater decides to fight Trent Phillips and accept <laughs> his invitation, who wins in what round by what submission? If Kelly decides to fight him. Well, first of all, I'm fully behind this match. I think it should happen. And I think it's only a matter of time until it will happen. Um, I don't know, man. Kelly looks pretty strong. <laughs> His nutrition game is, I mean, I don't know, Trent. How many yoo-hoos have you had today? <laughs> I don't know, you know? Kelly's over there drinking perps and fresh avocado, mango smoothies, yeah. and rocking up with Twinkies and and Yoo-hoo Dukes in the thermos. <laughs> but in Trent's defense, I don't know anything about that that stuff, man. So I wouldn't know who's good and who's not. Yeah. So you're telling me you'd be in my corner, but your money, but the betting man, your book. No, no, I put my money on you. But I'm gonna enjoy watching you get your ass kicked. Let's just yeah. <laughs> I he's would be laughing. That he's I've not. Heard. Yeah, he's not gonna be the cut man. He's gonna be in the audience, just kick back. <laughs> on, oh yeah. Glad to know that you believe in me, Tony. Oh, I believe one hundred percent. One hundred percent. So, Tony, the, the, Trent and I have been talking about. There seems to be this like cult of skip fry right like a lot of the kind of hip dudes and hip guys oh it's fry day and they pay this exorbitant amount of money and all these kind of things and skip is a legend he is for sure one of the most influential shapers ever i i love his work i don't want anyone to get me wrong dude is a legend and i love his work but tony is there a guy for you as a shaper who is like your all-time dude who is the guy you look up to the guy who you would like to reach at your pinnacle Who's that guy for you? Well, you know, this is a weird thing for me because, uh, first of all, I'm part of Skip Fry's shaping tree. There's only one guy, the guy I learned from, learned directly from Skip. So I was taught Skip's method on how to shape a surfboard. 
So it's you and Josh Hall, your disciples <laughs> of Skip Fry. So, I mean, there's a lot of what Skip did that's just in my DNA on how I shape because I was taught his method on how to shape a surfboard. Now, how much it changed in between that one guy that's between us could be huge. I don't know. What What is one of the things you think is a skip type thing that you do that when you know, like just like order of operations or whatever, when you're shaping? I have no idea. I only know what I was taught. You know, people, the, people never go like, well, you're that's weird right now. Why are you doing that? People, people say that to me all the time. When I'm uh, <laughs> you, know, you know, it's just a sequence of events on how you, you do your board. And I was taught the sequence that supposedly was handed down from skip. So, um, you know, obviously there's some of that in my DNA. So he's got to be one of them, regardless on, on how we feel about, uh, you know, his, how much hype he's getting. But for me, I'm kind of a Hank Bizak guy. I think Hank Bizak is like one of the unsung heroes of the whole, you know, logging community. Back in the 90s, when there was very few people shaping longboards, um, you know, if you logged in the 90s, chances are you were riding a board that could have been shaped by Hank Bizak and didn't even know it. I mean, the man's just a phenomenal shaper. And you know what's funny is Hank Bizak's a legend and his boards are phenomenal. Everyone I've seen in person is like so sick. They, they still sell for like standard retail. Like yeah. you, you won't see a Bizak selling for used for like 3K, but they're yeah. absolutely worth it because he's absolutely that good. His shapes are clean. They're tight. I always look at 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 that. How clean a guy gets his shapes. Um, Jim Phillips is another one, man. His shapes are clean, man. You know. You know what? I know that there's one other shaper that's like one of your one of your guys. Who's that? The Hap carpets. Hap Jacobs. Hap Jacobs. Yes. Yeah, without a doubt, Hap. Um, you know, there's just something about when you see a board that was shaped by Hap. His, his shapes are just remarkably clean. I, I'm into really guys that can really just draw nice lines and clean lines. And when you look at their boards, you know they shaped it. Yeah. And, and Hap 100% was like that for sure. I'm glad you brought that up, Trent, because I might have forgot. But I, I Hap is one of those guys where um, before he retired, I'd walk into the beach house and pick up a Jacobs. And it would still give me that feeling that I had picking up a new board that I had when I was a kid. And when you're around surfboards all the time and you've been doing it for so long, you kind of don't get that feeling anymore. Mm -hmm. So to be able to pick up a board and feel that magic in it, uh, it's pretty special. I think his boards are phenomenal. Yeah. I think that's a cool thing too, because even though you've made so many boards and all this i think you still get that feeling too out of your dealings with uh buying like old and collectible stuff too yeah for 100 percent um you know because that's the source for me that's the source you, you know i don't really collect as a i'm not collecting because oh, i got to have one of these and i have to have one of these and this is that and this is the other thing yeah. i i kind of try and piece together a timeline of what really was happening, how, how the progression in surfboards was coming about. Um, There's some, some guys out like the Overland brothers. I mean, dude, 1970, they were so close to the freaking thruster is ridiculous yeah. and they just missed it. 
you know, and it took 10 years for us to stumble on the, the thruster. I mean, those were the three fins that were straight across. Yeah, they were pretty much straight across. Yes. You know, one long <laughs> Damn it. You were, like, you were like so close. Oh. And so many people came so close to the thruster so many times. And they were just like, ah, this shit ain't working. And they just ditched it, you know? <laughs> and you're like, man, you guys are so close. But it's it's kind of like most of the time with shaping, it's baby steps. You know, things happen in baby steps. But there are periods of times where there was just like leaps forward. And, um, you know, you find that those leaps, everything in the old boards was extreme. It was extreme because they were trying to figure out if we did this to a board, what would it do? So yeah. they just made it extreme so you could tell. That's the best way to tell what it's going to do. And then you back it off from there, you know. That's probably why all those V bottoms, it's like hyper deep V. Yeah. You ride them. It's like there was that Devin Howard video where he rode one. He's like, this board doesn't really work. Yeah. I, I had an old guy in my neighborhood in San Francisco, and I was learning to shave just some like my first one or two. And I'd want to put like, well, I'm going to put some concave in it, Gordon. He's a, he's a shaper in the North Bay area. And he'd go, oh, kiddo, we already did that. It doesn't work. We already did it. And, he, and you know, for the most time, if I exaggerated, he was right. Mild versions of things work great, but extra, yeah. it just gets weird. Yeah, no, it gets weird. And, uh, you know, most of, the, most of the things that the subtleties in the boards are what really makes them, the boards magic, you know? And it's, it's those things that, 98% of the people that look at them aren't going to see, but those are, it's the extra 10 minutes you take as a shaper that just fine tuning those small little things. I personally feel, but what really makes them magical. All um, right. So out of your old board collection, because you've got a lot, what's your favorite? My favorite is you can make one favorite log and one favorite, not log. Okay. My favorite log is my Hanson super light pintail yeah. super line it's uh it was my uncle's board i inherited it when i was like 12 and uh it just set the stage for for me how a log should ride and a lot of my boards are kind of based off of how that board responded um yeah. so it's definitely one of my favorites not not just the fact that it's been in the family since the year i was born yeah but uh it's just a phenomenal riding board and yeah. then um on the shorter side it's got to be i'm a huge bane fan bane. so it's either uh my bane keelfin twin fan or the seven uh seven four bane pintail um that twin fin's sick that twin fin's sick that twin fin yeah. that twin fin was one of the ones I think that, that was one of the ones that like didn't even go up on the wall. It stayed like down so we yeah. could do it up regularly. <laughs> well, the first time I ever got barreled in my entire life was on a Bane fish just like that. It wasn't that same board, really? but it was identical to that board. Um, first time I ever got a barrel in my entire life. Does it have dual Bane boxes on it or is it just, nope. just glass on yeah. So pre, it's it's pre Bane box and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think the Bane box. I'm not exactly sure. It's early. Early. That was a later thing for them, I think. Yeah. You yeah, know what's funny 70s. to think about is the fact that you're riding that board in like in Jersey with like dumpy Jersey tubes. <laughs> not only that, I was I was riding it as a, a you know 
a little 85 pound kid. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, it it floated me so much. It wasn't even my board. It was just a board. uh, I just happened to surf came up and I didn't have a board around. So I, this guy lent me a board and I, I could literally stand on that. I could just stand up paddled that board. It floated me so much. Really? But it was only like a 5'10", but it was just big and thick and straight. This little but, dinky uh, kid just getting thrashed on the, in the shore break. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, of course, no leash yeah. at that time. Hell yeah. And as a kid, you know how you are with your leash. And, and it was a it was a pretty, pretty sizable day I took that out on too, you know. Golly. So. We haven't had a surfer from Jersey on this show. So, Tony, top three, your favorite top three waves in, on the Jersey Shore. Um, first one was the old Casino Pier, because that's where I spent a lot of time surfing. And that's Atlantic City? Uh, nope, that's in Seaside Heights. Seaside Heights. Um, the south side of the pier that left there was just magical for me. I'd, I'd love that wave. Um, now, I also like uh, Manasquan, which was an incredible wave. It's when I was a kid, all the older guys told me I didn't know what Manasquan was because it was way heavier back when when they were young, you know. Yeah. You should have seen it when Jesus surfed it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I kind of feel the same way now because it seems like a different wave now. It seems like a much different wave than even when I was a kid. Because it used to just pit really hardcore yeah. um, when I was a kid. It, it was kind of a, it was an intimidating wave for sure. Especially because we surfed it most of the time dead winter, which was always crazy. Yeah. Then there's a spot we call the tank, which um, is a spot where me and my, my little buds, we just grew up on that beach. Um, there used to be an abandoned house there that we just took over like rats. And we just hung Real out. Real Lord of the house. Flies type stuff. Yeah. And then eventually they knocked the house down and put a water tower there. So uh, that's probably one of the spots. That's where I want to be war- buried, you know, when I'm uh, I pass, just put me to cough camp, put a couple holes in the top, throw me out in the water there. I'll be happy. Yes. Well, I think it's been proven that you can't die. <laughs> <laughs> God knows I'm trying, right? <laughs> no, nobody listened to Trent on this subject because i got all in my feelings one day and i'm and i'm like trent listen if i have to have if 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 there's a paddle out this is what i want this is what i want my son to do and i'm like pour my heart out to him trent looks dead at me we're driving home in the truck and he goes i don't do paddle outs i'll be selling hot dogs on the beach (laughs) i don't i refuse i'll never do a paddle out for anything ever you're a jerk says to me i love you enough that i'll be there but i'll be for sure selling dogs yeah i'll show up but i'm making money off the thing you know yeah i'm kind of jealous man i hope he sells hot dogs at my gig (laughs) but uh we'll be selling sandwiches for you (laughs) that works too pork roll egg and pork rolls pork rolls there, there you go. There you go. Nice pork roll. Yeah. All right. So we've learned several things talking with Tony. First of all, COS alive and well. If you're in the Northeast Florida area, you want to get yourself a COS. Aqua East is the dealer of choice to go there to get those. Guys, seriously, respect vintage shapers. Pay the money for their, their boards. But also take some of that change and get some stuff from some local guys that are shaping today. They're gonna blow your mind. Support the East Coast. 
Tony, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, Thanks for having me, man. Best of all time. We love it. And with that, stay true out there, true believers, and we'll keep ranting and raving about these minuscule things that you don't really care about. This is your host, The Grinch, signing off for Trent and Tarpin Phillips and our lovable producer, Tyler St. Baker. We love you guys. God right, bless. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Take it easy. You guys are wanting to keep up tabs with the surf nod make sure you follow us on instagram we are the surf nod and we want to thank some listeners ryan from pensacola and the pit surf shop here in st augustine florida thanks for listening guys see you later